Well, if you saw the little video I put out on Facebook yesterday, you know that this is going to be a tough message today. Kelly, you have something to say? Oh, I thought you were pointing at me. Um, Dale, you got her started? Oh, you're working on it. ready? <laughs> okay. So how many of you have seen either on the news or in social media uh, a video of a group armed with weapons marching into some community and the residents of that community turning out with their weapons and saying, no, you're not coming in with the stuff you're bringing into our community. How many of you have seen something like that? That scenario. That has been the case in many communities actually through across our nation where a group of armed people that were, had an agenda to d disrupt the uh, community and the culture, in many cases, as Terry mentioned, bringing values which are foreign to the values our nation was built upon. And you have to understand that one of, that many of the specific things that are being proclaimed and, and, and declared over our nation are actually tenets of the Marxist manifesto to take down our nation, to take down our democratic representative democracy. And so we have had instances within our major cities where we have groups that are purporting, purporting values, promoting values that are violent, that want to create anarchy, want to take our nation down, want to disrupt the family, want to um, do a lot of things which are very non what we believe in and what biblical values teach. So we are pretty much all aware that our nation has been in turmoil for a few months. The cities of Seattle, Portland, Detroit, even Denver and any other cities have been, the downtown areas look like a, a bomb went off, like it was a war zone, and it really was a war zone to some degree. In the middle of all that, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's wondered, are, is it going to come to the point where we actually have to take up weapons to try to defend our community, to, to defend our family? Anybody thought that besides me? Anybody bold enough to raise your hand? Good, I'm not the only one. Well, this morning I want to talk a little bit about what does Jesus say? And Remember, we're talking about the red letters, the things Jesus said for a period of time in my messages. What does Jesus say about responding to those kinds of threats with force? And so I want to look at that kind of a thing. I'm going to talk about turning my cheek and defending my family. That's the name of my message this morning. And to lay a little background, I see that, that, that there's two extremes. There are people of faith, and strong conviction, who believe very firmly that Christians should be completely pacifistic. In other words, they should not resist anything that comes against them. They should accept all opposition, all aggression, 
all violence as simply coming from the hand of God. There are people that believe that firmly and various positions in that. I have not seen the movie, but the movie Hacksaw Ridge is about a conscientious objector named Desmond Doss, who was a medic, and when he went into the military, he went in to save lives. He said, I will not carry a weapon of any sort, and I'll be a medic, and I'll save lives. And because he had that conviction before God, I believe that's why he was able to save so many lives on Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa in World War II and not be shot. I really believe that was God's mercy honoring his conviction because it was a conviction that he held before the Lord. And just as a byline here, we need to, if we don't have that conviction, be willing to honor those who do. We really do. We need to give people the room to make up their mind. Because if you've made up your mind, you want people to honor what you believe. At least I do. So on the one extreme, or what I call the pacifists, that includes some Christian groups like Quakers, Mennonites, and I know that in, uh, in Russia in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when the Russian Revolution happened, the Mennonites, uh, the Russians, would just go into their, their communities and just kill them all. They were like mowing them down like wheat because they didn't resist at all. They, didn't, they just let them shoot them. And that's such a tragedy. Now on the other end of the scale, the other extreme, are what I call belligerents. Belligerents. The word bella is the Latin word for war. And it basically describes somebody that just likes war and wants to kill people. And that is an extreme. Of course, many of our movies we watch are full of that kind of stuff, so we see examples in the movies. But there are plenty of people out there that just enjoy killing for the sake of killing. Right? How many of you have read about people like that? They just arrested, they caught the guy on Interstate 5 in Oregon that was shooting people um, on the freeway. He was shooting vehicles and he hit a lady in the shoulder. And they, I think he shot about 50 vehicles up and he, it turned out he was a UPS driver. <laughs> that bizarre. But they caught him and now he's put away. So who knows why these people do that? But there are people that, that like to kill and like to torture and like to maim and destroy. And, and uh, the reasons for why they are is another subject for another day when we're studying um, abnormal psychology, I guess, or psycho psychotics and soci sociopaths. But, um, so on the one end, you've got, you got, you got pacifists on the one end, and on the other end, you've got belligerents. And where do we find ourselves, most of us, I hope, in the middle of where we go, you know what? I'm not going to just let the enemy come and take away everything that God has given me. And on the other end, I'm not going to, I don't desire to hurt and wound and kill people. I love people. I want to love people. I want to treat people with the way Jesus would treat them as much as they will let me, and as much as I have the capacity to. So I want to talk just for a moment about national defense or defense at the national level using force. Okay? In um, Romans um, chapter 13, we read this, verses 1 through 5, and um, 
says, the Apostle Paul writes, let every soul or every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And he's not talking about unrighteous authorities like Adolf Hitler, okay? And Mussolini and Stalin. He's talking about, in general, the people who run our governments, okay? Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God or the law of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he or the governor, the governor's appointed person, the police or military, whatever, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. And again, sword was the technology of the day, right? So today he does not bear the Glock in vain. Or he does not bear the assault rifle in vain. Okay? For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Be subject, therefore, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So the scripture makes pretty clear, and the next verse says too, that God is authorized there to be human government in our fallen earth, our fallen world, in order to keep evil at bay and to deal with people that would want to prey on other people and do evil things. 1 Peter 2 says almost the same thing in the shorter amount of words. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Now, am I being clear this morning? Is the scripture clear to you? God authorizes governments and one of the primary responsibilities of governments is to keep peace and to keep evil people in check. Now, you have a 3 by 5 card maybe near you, or they're in the baskets in the back. If you have questions or comments that you want me to hear and get, please write those down, drop those in our offering box, and I'll respond to you on that. Or if you have questions, we can talk about it at a different time. Because this is not an easy subject, and it's especially... Um, in some environments. Okay, we are here in, in western Nebraska, a very conservative area. I think the gun ownership of this population has probably got to be, I would guess, between the 80s and 90%. I don't know. That's just a guess. I am a gun owner. I like to shoot my gun. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to target shoot but I do not want to ever have to shoot a person. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So Ravi Zacharias, who just recently passed away, but a very well-respected Bible teacher, scholar, he wrote that in a world that has fallen, a nation, in order to survive, must defend itself. There are exploiters and abusers who will seek 
to come here and destroy us. Is that true? Boy, I agree with you. Augustine, the famous uh, fourth century scholar, theologian, said that there is such a thing as a just war. A time when a war is required to respond to evil. And I know there are a lot of people who say that no wars are just. And of course, there's no perfect wars because you've got a ton of people involved in them and all their motives can be different. But that I believe there are times when the government says we are going to have to fight. Let me give you a couple, just a couple examples. How many of you remember Israel became a nation in 1948? The day they declared their independence, what happened? They were attacked by like seven nations around them. Immediately they were overrun. And it was, all, it was the grace of God, the mercy of God, and there was a lot of supernatural things involved that they were able to fight off and, and actually win that war and keep that foothold in the Middle East, in the Promised Land. And then in 1967, they were attacked again by the nations around them, the Muslim nations around them. Then in 1973, they were attacked again by the Muslim nations around them. And now they got Hamas and the Gaza Strip launching, and, and Hezbollah in, in Lebanon launching rockets, thousands of rockets every year into their country. The people's normal life includes having a bomb shelter to run into when they hear the sirens go off. If they didn't have the defensive weapons to shoot most of those missiles out of the air, they would be a mess. Does Israel have the right to protect themselves? You bet they do. At least that's my conviction. I believe most of you are too. Our nation was under threat in the early 60s in what we call the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some of us are old enough to remember that. That and the uh, crawling underneath your desk at, in uh, school because we were doing nuclear weapon drills. A lot of good that would have done, right? Crawling under your desk from a nuclear weapon. <laughs> but uh, I remember that, that Russia, under Khrushchev, sent missiles to, they were on ships coming to Cuba to help Fidel Castro and to threaten the United States by having nuclear weapons like a couple hundred, 300, 400 miles off our coast. And President Kennedy at the time stood up and said, no way, that's going to happen. And, uh, and he basically stared Khrushchev down. We, we sent our ships out and we... Put it, we surrounded Cuba with a, with a blockade, and those ships uh, from Russia turned around and went home. That was something good that the Democrats did. At least John F. Kennedy, that was a good thing. He stood up. I really appreciate that. So, nationally, in a national level, we have governments to protect us. We need to make sure that continues to happen, and that's why I want to make sure that you register to vote if you have not. And everybody in your family that's over 18 needs to have registered to vote. And you need to go down there and vote because if you give away this country to a nation, that, to a group of people that doesn't care about our protecting us, we're all going to suffer. And we have the right to choose our government, at least up till this point. Let's keep it going. Now I want to talk about, on a personal level, 
Is it ever justified using violence, using force, against someone in a personal level? So let's look at what Jesus says. This is red letters. And again, first thing I want to say is that hard attitude is everything, okay? Hard attitude is everything. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 15, 19. He said, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, and so on. So what is the difference between killing and murdering? Remember, see, the King James Version, it says in, back in Exodus, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. But if you look at a newer version, it changes the words to thou shalt not murder. Ever thought about that? And that is because there's a difference between murder and other killing, other taking of life. So, I think I have a question up there. What's the difference between murder and killing? Anybody? Okay, murder's premeditated. That's definitely a big part of it. What kind of intent is involved in murder? Hate. What else? Revenge. Pardon? Envy, yeah. Pardon? Greed, yeah, very much so. Anger, yeah. Jealousy, yeah. I'm waiting to hear one more that's really big. Pardon? Selfish? Oh, that's really true. This one I'm thinking of starts with an F. Fear. Fear. A lot of people have been killed because people were afraid of what was going to happen to them. It's really true. So the difference, murder involves killing someone without cause, without, with the, for the wrong, wrong heart reason. Because you hate them, you want revenge, you're greedy, you want to take their stuff, whatever, okay? That's what murder is. And murder has its own definition in our, in our code of law in the United States. There's actually different levels. There's premeditated murder, first-degree murder. Then there's down to third-degree murder or manslaughter where uh, you killed somebody by mistake. Okay? So if we're not talking about murder, but Jesus wants us to make sure that we've got our hearts right. So let's take a look for a second. Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said of old, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother or sister without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means you stupid idiot in, in, the, in Greek, shall be, or Aramaic, shall be in danger of the council. I think they're talking about the council in heaven. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. What Jesus is saying there is that for us to um, declare that someone that God created in his image has no value and is worthless is an insult to God. And to be angry to someone without cause like you're jealous of them or you're mad at them for whatever reason, 
that kind of anger leading to murder, is, that makes it murder in God's eyes. So Jesus is saying, not only is the physical act of killing somebody murder, but just hating them and having that kind of a feeling towards someone, in God's eyes, is a form of murder. I remember one time I heard an, an older guy say, this is about 15, 20 years ago. We were in the, in the war on Iraq at the time, the desert storm. And he said, he said, I just wish they would drop a nuclear bomb on Iraq and turn it all to glass, turn all the sand to glass. And I looked at him. I said, do you realize how many innocent men, women, and children would die? He said, I don't care. They're just all a bunch of ragheads, you know, the slang word for Muslims. And... Uh, his attitude, his heart attitude was, I just don't care. They have no value to me, and I don't see any value for God to have them have the, over them either. So that was just an example. Some of the callous attitudes that we can have that really actually are murdering people in our hearts. So how about my stuff? Do I own anything that is worth taking a person's life for. You ever thought about that? I was talking with um, Jen's dad the other day. We were talking about that with him and Bill Cody and myself. And uh, we were talking about, your, uh, John was saying he'd been in visit, he visited a lot of gun stores because he's a gun collector and uh, gun buff. And uh, he said that I've heard a lot of people talk about what they would kill somebody for. And he says, you wouldn't believe how small it could be, you know. Not just a cow or a horse. They would shoot somebody for a pretty trivial reason. We need to think about what we own and if it's worth taking a life for. Jesus said, Matthew 5.30, um, no, I'm not thinking of this. I'm thinking of a different verse. It's in Matthew 5, but Jesus said, if a guy wants to take your cloak away from, him, from you, give it to him. If he wants to force you to walk with him a mile, walk with him two miles. Jesus is making the point, it doesn't really matter what you got. Human life is worth more. Shoot him in the leg. <laughs> So they can't get away with it. Yeah. So, but, but something a little harder is personal insults. Personal insults. Matthew 5, 38 and 40, Jesus said, You've heard, it, heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the Old Testament law back then. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. I guess that was the verse I was thinking of. So Jesus is saying here that we need to be able to not allow people to get us to react against them by insulting us or by wanting our stuff. And that's a challenge. I don't know about you. That's a challenge. Someone slaps me in the face. Everything in me is going to want to slap them back. But if I'm being slapped in the face because of my belief in Jesus, 
If I slap him back, what kind of a testimony is that, huh? Now, I'm not saying this morning that I've, I've mastered any of this, okay? I'm just saying these words challenge me as much as they should challenge you. We need to be thinking about these things because the days are coming where we're probably going to be enduring some persecution as believers in the United States. I mean, every other country in the world is pretty much there, right? There aren't too many that have escaped it. Maybe Denmark is a good place to live. I don't know. Taxes are like 65% if you want to go to Denmark. But the days are coming. We see it on the horizon. So we need to be thinking about these things. And we need to kind of get this kind of figured out before it comes and hits us by surprise. So we will respond in humility with the Lord. Okay, but, but what should we not endure? What should we not put up with? I want to talk about that for a moment now. Because it's, it's one thing to be slapped, right? It's another thing when a guy pulls a knife out on you. It's one thing when they want to steal my jacket. It's another thing when they want to burn my house down. another thing when they insult me that's one thing but it's another thing if they attack my wife or my children and I believe that in that case we have every right to defend ourselves and our, our loved ones I don't believe that we are to endure physical torture violence wounding or attempted murder. In those cases, I believe we are free to protect and or defend ourselves, but not to seek to wound or kill in revenge. Does that sound like a bit of a challenge? <laughs> it is. Or out of hatred. One of my favorite movies was uh, The Karate Kid. I know I'm dating myself. Some of you remember that. Mr. Miyagi... The old, the old Japanese, the Okinawan, who was a karate expert, and when the, when the really cool uh, Cobra leader, karate teacher expert attacks him, you know, he just kind of step, stops all his blows, and the guy can't touch him, and he renders the guy unable to do damage to him. Don't you wish you had that ability? You know, as a kid, I grew up, you know, I wanted to be, wanted to be able to defend myself like that or to be able to do that. I wish we could all be Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid, that we could all defend without any problem because that was just the way we were trained. But not too many of us are good at fighting, right? And um, we have two choices. You can, you can either fight or flight, right? When you are confronted with violence, you have two choices. You can, you can run or you can fight. And... Um, there are advantages and disadvantages to both, aren't there? So if I was thinking about fighting, what's a possible disadvantage? Yeah, you could lose, right? The other guy would either have bigger weapons or be stronger than you or faster than you, and you would lose. What's the possible advantage of fighting? take care of the problem. At least that problem until the next problem comes along. 
kind of sounds like a Western, doesn't it? Well, so what's the advantage of flying, of fleeing, flight? He who runs away lives to fight another day, right? So you can maybe escape without injury and position yourself to be able to deal with the situation down the road, delay the problem. So what's the disadvantage of running? Pardon? What if you what if you can run, but what's the weak what's the weakness of that? No, you haven't dealt with the problem. The problem's still there. You just got made distance between you and the problem. The problem's not going to go away, very possibly. Just because you ran away, if you come back, the problem may still be there, right? So but in the scripture, both of these avenues are, are potentially okay. Okay? You can fight and you can run. Just let me talk about running real briefly. In Exodus chapter 2, Moses fled from Pharaoh, right? In 1 Samuel 21, remember Moses had murdered a guy that was killing, hurting one of his friends and buried his body in the sand. And then, Mo, then he found out that Pharaoh heard about it and Moses took off and went and lived on the backside of the desert, which is exactly what God wanted him to do. In 1 Samuel 21, David flees from Saul. Is that smart? Yeah, Saul had a big army. David had a small group of friends. Smart move. David went and lived in caves. Wasn't much fun, but he was able to delay until God worked things out. Jesus talks about fleeing from one city to another, another place that's safe. In Matthew 10 and in Matthew 24, he talks about believers fleeing. So that is legitimate and not cowardice to run away from people who want to do violence to you and your family. Okay? How about fighting? Is there a time to fight? Nehemiah 4.14. I love this verse. Nehemiah says, I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. And these were these Arabs that were threatening to attack them when they were building the wall of the city. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your wives, your daughters, and your houses. Did you hear that? Fight for your brothers, your wives, your houses, and your kids. Those are things worth fighting for. Okay, and I love this in Esther chapter 9. Esther chapter 9, the king had made a, he'd been deceived by his counselor Haman and made a declaration that the Jews, the people that lived in all these cities where there were Jewish populations could attack the Jews and kill them and take their stuff. In Esther chapter 9, that was previous chapters. So when the king found out that he'd been deceived, he made another law that the Jews could defend themselves, could band together and defend themselves. And, and so when the, that day of that event was allowed to happen, when those people came to attack the Jews, they defended themselves and killed a whole bunch of people that were trying to take their lives and their families and their stuff. All right? So Scripture, particularly Old Testament verses, tells us we have the right to defend 
ourselves and our families, our loved ones. Okay? John 15, 13. So it looks like we're having fun with the computer and the, the camera. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Sometimes taking up arms to deal with a situation is because of a heart of love for those that we love, those around us, our brothers, our sisters, our family, and so on. Rabbi Zacharias again says, if someone were to attack my family, I would fight to defend them. He says, if the power of government, such as a policeman, is not present in an emergency, when great harm is being done to another person, then my love for the victim should lead me to use physical force to prevent any further harm from occurring. If I found a criminal attacking my wife or children, I would use all my physical strength and all the physical force at my disposal against him. We'll stop there on that. Remember, Abraham also rescued his uh, nephew Lot, who was taken captive by a raiding army. Something I want to point out is that doing nothing can also be the same as doing something. If you're not doing something to protect your loved ones, your neighbors, great harm can come from your unwillingness to act. In World War II, there was a pastor named Martin Niemöller, and he, he wrote this quote. He said, first they came for the socialists, talking about Nazi Germany. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Implying that if I had stuck up for my friends, there would be somebody around to stick up for me. I love this verse in Proverbs 24, 11. And 12, deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we didn't know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know? And he will, will he not render to each man according to his deed? God will hold us accountable for if we refuse to help those around us that are threatened. And we have a capacity to help. We need to be willing to lay our lives down to help our brothers and sisters. Now, I'm going to wrap it up here. I want to talk about a really big issue for us, I believe, in America, as American believers. And that's the issue of trusting in our weapons. Trusting in Samuel Colt or Smith & Wesson or uh, whatever your particular choice is. Jesus talks about this in both Matthew and Luke, and I want to read kind of a combination. This is the end. Jesus is now in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's talking to his disciples, and I kind of, I kind of just edited most of it out, but I'm going to read some of it, more of it here. But now he says, take your money in your traveler's bag. He says, you didn't, have, you didn't have to need anything before this time. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Swords must have been cheap. 
For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled, that he was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. And then later in the garden, Judas, his betrayer, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They grabbed Jesus and arrested him. When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, his name is Malchus, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed it. Put away your sword, Jesus told Peter. And I love this quote, those who use the sword will die by the sword. And he goes on to say, don't you realize my father could send 10,000 angels if I needed it, but I've got to fulfill what God sent me here to do. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. What's he saying there? You thought about that? I believe Jesus is talking about an unhealthy dependence on weapons to protect ourselves instead of looking to God to be our protector. When he says those who use the sword will die by the sword, I don't think he's saying every person that uses the sword is going to die by being hit, like stabbed by a sword. What he's saying is that if you turn to weapons as kind of like your default to deal with situations, somebody's going to kill you. There's a good chance you're going to get killed in one of the fights you get into if you're getting into fights all the time. But what Jesus, I believe, is speaking to us is that we need to be careful that we don't nurture a dependence on our physical weapons, our natural weapons, and neglect our spiritual weapons. I love Psalm 44, verse 6, and I think you all should memorize it. It's about the size of verse we could all do right now. It says, For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. Can you say that with me? I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. Now, if you have a weapon, think about the name of the brand of your weapon. I will not trust in my Colt, Smith & Wesson, M&P Shield, Glock, Browning. I have a savage. I will not trust in my weapon, nor shall my weapon save me. There's better weapons. And there are times, there is a time when we may have to use that weapon, that natural weapon. There is a time. And the Bible does support that. But the, it's better that we become very proficient at our spiritual weapons. You recognize God's given us spiritual weapons? Ephesians 6, 17, put on, he's talking about the armor of God, put on salvation as a helmet, and take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In fact, it says in Hebrews 4, 12, that that Word of God is alive and powerful it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. 
cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. How many of you remember the lady who was kidnapped, I don't know, 10 years ago? I love the, I watched the interview, and the kidnapper had her in his car. He caught, got her in a parking lot somewhere and got her in his car. And she just began speaking the word of God to him right away. She began preaching to him. She began telling him who Jesus said that he was. She began declare, uh, binding the devils and the demons that, that were operating in this guy. And um, after about a half a day, he let her go. I forget exactly the details, but he let her go. Probably because she was driving him crazy, but probably because she was speaking the word of God and it was like a sword and it was cutting deep. I mean, she was addressing his family, his childhood. She was getting words of knowledge and she was just speaking to this guy, reading his mail. And, and he, he actually let her go. I think he took her to, to the police station and just dropped her off. So we need to use, learn how to use our spiritual weapons, don't we? We need to be a little more comfortable with them than we are using the 45 or the 12 gauge. So this morning as I close, I just want to say one last thing. Death and persecution are going to be a reality for some of us, the way things are going. Scripture teaches us, when we read about end times, uh, Jesus said that some of us will lose our life for our testimony. Hebrews chapter uh, 12, or 11, verse 37, talks about historically the men and women of faith, some of them died, some of them survived by faith, some of them died by faith. And you can die by faith because you know that death is not the end. Death is not the end of the story. And um, I wrote up there, we need to make peace with death. We need to have perspective. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. It is simply a transition into eternity. That's why we need to be ready to, to die a good death with the name of Jesus on our lips and our hope in Him. It's not such a bad thing to lay our life down because we've got eternity to be with the Lord. And it's going to be so much better than this miserable earth we've been on. Okay? So, application. Let's take a look at some questions here. You thought this whole thing through. If you haven't, take some time. Sit down with your spouse or friend or whatever, mom or dad, and talk about these things. Second, are you willing and able to shoot to defend this should that situation arise? My father-in-law was a policeman for about 30 years. He said that a lot of people, when they're confronted with a situation and they have a gun and there's a person that broke into their house, a violent criminal, they said that in a, in a large percentage of the time, the gun will be taken away from them because they don't have what it takes to shoot somebody when it comes to it. The criminal will take their gun away and shoot them with it. Because criminals don't have any problem shooting anybody. Murderers don't. So you really need to think through whether you should be preparing to shoot somebody at some point. So you maybe need to think of other ways to deal with situations than using a gun unless you have no qualms about doing it. So, and I know plenty of people with no problem. So. <laughs> These are not easy questions, you guys. All right. Um, how is your heart condition? Are you a little too much on the belligerent side? <laughs> Want to get revenge? You got issues with anger, fear? Murder, remember, starts in the heart with the thoughts. Okay? Do you trust in your weapon or do you trust in God? Do you need some heart surgery this morning? 
How practiced are you with your spiritual weapons? Are you ready to use them? Do you have the Word of God in your heart and your mind? That's why we do JBQ. For those kids to get the Word of God in their hearts and minds. So important. And is your life in His hands? Can you believe I got done at 12? It's 12. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. Jesus, you seem to speak to just about everything that's important. And Lord, this is a tough one for us, partly because our nation's in turmoil and we actually may have to deal with enemies coming to our community at some point. We have no idea. We hope that never happens. But Lord, we recognize our nation has got strong elements, increasing elements of people that are um, violent and anti-democratic. And we know that there are a very large percentage of people that not only don't want our president to be reelected, but they hate his guts, and now they're beginning to say things like, we'll do whatever it takes to get him out of office. That's scary. So, Lord, we ask that you help us, give us perspective, understanding. Help us to make up our mind and talk through these issues to know what to do. But more than anything, Lord, help us to develop and use the weapons and the tools you have given us to speak with power, to be able to pray with power, and to be able to walk with wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. We commit our congregation to you. We thank you for our security committee that is forming, and at some point we will have those in our very midst, Lord, that are charged with watching for someone that might come in from the outside. And Lord, we, it's, a, it's a tragedy that we even have to worry about those things, that our world has changed. God, we cry out for our government and our president for your help, for your mercy, your grace. And God, we lift up this election in November to you. We need to start praying right now. And God, I pray that you would be exalted in our nation. And Lord, we just commit to you now our time as we go and enjoy being family together. We ask you to bless us as we go to the park together. And I just thank you so much for my Calvary family. We bless you and thank you that we can stand together and love one another. And we just are blessed in so many ways. We honor you now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a wonderful afternoon, and we'll see you hopefully at the park soon.